0: Welcome back, everyone. Happy 2017. What a big year we're having. And whether you are a year-rounder or just starting your weekend getaways and vacation, you are joining us for an exciting third season on Nantucket's NPR station. This is Camille's Demi Hour. We are a seasonal show that we air May through October. And during the winter months, I work on other food and wine projects. So my obsession continues on and off the island. And I continue to seek out and learn new things that are happening in the culinary world. And to share, two big things happened for this country over the past year. For one, the competition Bucasse d'Or, which is held in Lyon every year and is definitely the most prestigious culinary competition in the world, the U.S. walked away with first prize. It was a first time ever for the country. The winner was the chef from Per Se in New York City the famous restaurant, which is owned by Thomas Keller of the French Laundry in Napa. And recently, I also just learned that the San Pellegrino Best Restaurant in the World Award went to 11 Madison Park in New York City. So kudos, congratulations, felicitations to our New York American winners, a double whammy and a huge honor for this country. And it's funny because just recently, a chef turned to me and said that this country is a hotbed of culinary talent in the world. And I think after this year, we can officially say we are. So to say the least, I was really excited to come back this season. I've been spending a lot of time reaching out to chefs, new tours, and other people on the island to ask for them to come into the studio so we can hear their stories. So welcome to all my new listeners. I hope you will learn more about this incredible island and the ever-changing and improving restaurant scene and our agricultural community. So without further ado, let's begin our first show. There are restaurants that open and reopen every year or perhaps get a new chef or have a renovation, but it isn't as common as what has happened at the Graydon House. This building underwent a total reconstruction with an added addition. The interiors were done by a big design firm in New York City, And then they brought in a Michelin-rated chef, a general manager from a New England relay and chateau, which all sounds like a total recipe for success. But even with both a dynamic team and a beautiful property, restaurant and property owners know you still have to fulfill the expectations or rather exceed the expectations of your guests and then of your investors. And then you actually have to bypass the hoopla and the buzz that comes around with every cool new opening and actually satisfy the clientele who are not just demanding, But here on Nantucket, they are very experienced eaters and travelers. So the question is not whether this place will become just the next hotspot but perhaps become a place that garners international recognition for the island. Let's hear from both the general manager and the chef and what they hope to achieve. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. This is Camille Broderick with Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. And I hunted these guys down all winter to get them on the show today. And we're very glad to hear about their project. Uh, We have Chef Marcus Gladoware and Ari Sadri from the Graydon House. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here, as you can hopefully sense my excitement. <laughs> it's
1: a pleasure uh, being here.
0: you were both new to the island, so uh, usually we begin by hearing your experience and your background. Chef, I'd love to start with you specifically about um, your culinary background. It says in your bio how your dad was a big foodie, and he really followed the Michelin guide. I'd love to hear more about really what that meant.
2: Yeah, no, that was when I was a sort of young child and growing up, basically, basic sort of outline of our vacations were, you know, deciding where we were going to go, and then, you know, him following the Michelin guide pretty much wherever we went. So um, there wasn't too many bad meals. And I'm lucky that his parents were great cooks as well. So there was, you know, a lot based around food and sort of family time as much as there was no No one was a professional chef, so I was the first person in the family to venture into the hospitality world. So all of us have a strong sort of gravitation towards good food, good quality ingredients, and that's something that's really stayed with us and obviously something that is very important to me now.
0: And Ari, you have the Poster child, farm to table, New York background. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Sure. Um, my family moved to upstate New York right on the border with Quebec when I was in grade school. We had a 156-acre farm and a 153-acre woodlot. And I grew up off the grid. We plowed our garden with a Belgian workhorse and hauled logs with a workhorse and milked a Jersey dairy cow and you know made our own butter and cheese and had turkeys and geese and rabbits and pigs and you know the whole shoot wow. and match was interesting when when sort of farm to table as a restaurant concept started really taking off because I thought to myself, well, where did people think food came from? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, seemed, it seemed so uh, logical to me because, of course, that was how I grew up. And, you know, like right now, it's morel season. It was always my favorite time of year because morel season always coincided with a couple of things happening simultaneously in upstate New York, which is, you know, sort of close to the frozen tundra. Um, morel season also signaled the start of Trout fishing season, it also signaled the time when all the wild asparagus would start coming up and all the wild rhubarb would start coming up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a typical sort of weekend off the, off the farm and after chores was my stepfather and I heading out with fishing rods and catching some brook trout and finding some morels and gathering some asparagus and, get, you know, gathering some rhubarb. And that was that was dinner.
0: That was uh, the norm.
1: That was the norm.
0: Wow. Well, working in restaurants, those aren't your daily activities anymore.
1: (laughs) Not not anymore. Not anymore.
0: Well, why don't we talk about those first restaurant jobs? Uh, You both seem to have parallels that you've really worked your way from the bottom to the top. And I'd love to hear your experiences and if you had those moments when you thought, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, Chef, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, so um, I started at a very early age. Um, I was probably 15 years old I had a sort of weekend job as it were cleaning the cellars at that pub Um, and you know as happens to so many people (laughs) the classic story of dishwasher doesn't show up who can we (laughs) use as a dishwasher this 15 year old kid who's just finished scrubbing the scrubbing the cellar is perfect. <laughs> so um, that was that was how I sort of ended up in the kitchen. I found myself spending as much time as I could in the kitchen there. Um, and by the time I was, you know, a year later, I was like, right, I know exactly what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna be a chef. And um, when when I got the opportunity to sort of finish my education, And I was like, right, I want to be a chef. They were like, "Uh, yes, but not here. And I was (laughs) like, what do you mean? I love this place. Um, And they were like, no, you've got to go and work uh, with the best. So um, luckily, you know, my first choice, which was the Savoy Hotel, accepted me as an apprentice. And that's really where it started at 16. So I was, you know, I sort of finished high school and jumped straight in. The Savoy, you know, uh, have an amazing culinary program of teaching people over the years that was sc- started with Escoffier and all the way through, you know, to the chef that I worked there for, Anton Edelman, and he had been there for 14 years when I arrived. And I started their sort of culinary program, which, um, it was really the best, best kind of training I could ever imagine. But it was literally in at the deep end.
0: When people talk about classic training and something like the Savoy and Escoffier, which are uh, really established and revered properties in the world for the culinary background. How can you explain to people that it's important to have that training?
2: Um, you know, it's those kind of trainings are what really build the foundations for you to to grow on and, and move in the direction that, that you want to go in. So, and really learning to work efficiently, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of cooking is about managing your time and doing multiple, multiple things at the same time. Going back to the sort of classics, as it were, um, that you know it gives you great fundamentals to build on um so that was the best start that i could have could have wished for you know
0: If you're just listening, this is Camille Broderick with Camille's Demiara, and we are speaking with Chef Marcus Gledoware and Ari Saudry from The Great house And he was just speaking about his great experiences at the Savoy Hotel in London, where he began as an apprentice. And you also have worked with the great Chef Marco Pierre White. Tell us about the other chefs that have influenced you.
2: Really incredible. You know, I, I, I moved to Florence for a year. I decided that, right, I'm need to learn Mm -hmm. a new language, learn more about another type of cuisine. I'm going to go to Italy, got Mm -hmm. on a plane and flew to Italy. And my first couple of months in Italy was, you know, making pasta every day for four or five hours, Mm -hmm. you know. So that was another great skill set. And that's what I wanted to get from it was to grow myself and get more, more Mm -hmm. sort of rounded as a chef, Mm -hmm. you know you know I spent a year there then came back to London I decided I wanted to go and see what New York was like you know just to do what we call staging staging is where you go and spend a period of time in someone else's kitchen whether it's it could be a day it could be a week you know and you don't normally get paid for it but mm-hmm. it's that's what we would sort of almost how we interview people and I spent a month in New York I Got offered a job while, while I was there, but I turned it down. I said, you know, I, uh, Charlie Palmer was really amazing to offer me a, a job and I turned it down because I had commitments in at home and I'd promised the chef that I was working for who gave me a month off that I would come back and work for him for a year. Oh. So I kept true to my word, went home. It was just over a year later, and the phone rang at three o'clock in the morning, and it was the chef from Auriol, who was, uh, "Do you want to come back yet?" You know, so wow. that was, yeah. You know, they they offered me the executive sous chef position, which to anyone that's not in the sort of culinary world is like the second in command. I was offered that, and I I said to myself, "Well, it's not every day you get to move halfway around the world, and." So I did it, you know, and I thought to myself at the beginning, I thought, oh, you know, this will be another learning and sort of journey. I'll be here for a year or two and then I'll go home. Uh, Ten years later, I am still here and just started a brand new project and a brand new challenge. So,
0: Well, let's talk about The Great and House shortly. But I do want to talk to Ari about his background and how it came to be um, at the Pitcher Inn. (laughs) I'm sure there's many stories. It's hard to encapsulate your life in in a few sentences, but
1: yeah, I was supposed tried. to be an opera singer.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's why you. Had Darn it! Hair. I would have loved an aria right now.
1: <laughs> I was I was a classical voice major who dropped out after a sophomore year when I realized I didn't want to teach, I didn't want to compose, I didn't want to do anything. Like all I really wanted to be, like most singers, I just wanted to sing. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't do that, I better find something else and. Uh, the only place hiring at the time was a uh, restaurant that was just opening up in one of these old 1930s chrome diner cars in Princeton, New Jersey, right on the main drag on Nassau Street. And uh, then at the end of the day, I, I had to volunteer to sweep and mop the dining room and bathrooms off the clock every night after a shift in order just to solidify that position. So
0: mini-stage and janitorial. Sort of role.
1: A mini, Yeah, mini-janitorial <laughs> mini stage. But, um, you know, fast forward quite a, quite a long time and I ended up moving to Vermont and with my wife and uh, two daughters, to begin with, we were going to be, you know, we were going to get grown up jobs. We we're going to get out of the restaurant business, right? right? My wife and I were both uh, dining room servers. We're like, oh, you know, we, this isn't something you can do for the rest of your life. We should do something else. And so we tried other things. And the reality was that at the end of the day, it's the thing I most love to do, right? It's the thing that that every day. I've been doing this for 32 years. Every day I wake up and I feel pretty fortunate that I get to do what I do. Um,
0: You started at the Pitcher Inn also. Um,
1: Yeah, well, this was the Pitcher Inn was uh, the first job that I really took very seriously. I had never really done anything to to hone my skill set, to improve the things that I did to really take the profession seriously and professionally. But also at the age of 30, or whatever I was, 27, 28, that it was time for me to actually Focus. Mm. It was time to get serious about what I was doing, and uh, but I was determined. That was the place I was gonna. I was gonna start at the bottom. I was gonna work my my way up. Server to captain to dining room manager, then restaurant manager and sommelier, and eventually general manager of the property. And again, I felt very fortunate. Every day I went to work, and I felt like I hit the lottery. Mm. And no matter you know anybody who's been in this industry for any amount of time understands what a twenty hour day feels like. And what a 20, a 20 hour day on top of a 20 hour day on top of a 20 hour day on top of a 20 hour day feels like, you know, it can, it can feel a little bruising at times, right? Just a little. But, <laughs> but if you can get through those, those hours and still feel like you want to get up and do it again, right? There's lots of people that get the to work accomplishment jobs, yeah. feeling
0: that you made it through. It's a little bit of that warrior. <laughs> I survived. I made it. Now, why did you shift into wine versus maybe going on the culinary side of things?
1: I had an interest in both. I was very lucky. I worked for a restaurateur in St. Louis, a guy named Andy Ayres, and he would sit down with his staff once a week, pull half a dozen corks and sit down and say, okay, so this is what you're tasting. This is where it's from. This is how it's made. What do you smell? What do you taste? How would you pair it with my menu? Why would you pair it with that? As a, as a young guy, I was, uh, at the time, a pretty dedicated beer and whiskey guy. And uh, the first time I tasted really great wine was working for Andy, and being essentially a nerd at heart, I love minutia. Is there is there more fun minutia to dig into than this? <laughs> and really, when you get in, when you get it's, into it, but you know, just it's just in Italy alone.
0: So if you're just listening, we are speaking with Ari Sadri from the Greaten House as well as the chef Marcus Galetto Ware. We're very lucky to have them here today. And why don't we continue to talk about the Greaten House itself? How is it different from other places you've worked at? Why is this property so special?
2: Well, I think, you know, first of all, just what the owners, you know, really want to achieve and and what their sort of goal and vision for the property is, is, is amazing and Like Ari has said in the past, you know, um, properties like this with the amount of thought process and time and investment that's put into creating them, are probably there's probably one every 10 years created in the U.S. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it takes an immense amount of um, sort of cost and sort of dedication from everybody involved um, to really create, a property like this, you know? And Roman and Williams, who did the design, have done an amazing job of doing this sort of uh, storytelling, you know, as it were, in the property. So, you know, you're kind of walking around and there's historic pieces of furniture or, um, you know, could be the bar or the front desk.
0: and yeah. But what do you think is gonna separate Really on the service aspect and on the food aspect from the rest of the places on island.
1: Well, that's a really that's a good question. You know, I think for for me, I think the space dictates a lot. Marcus's food dictates a lot. My goal always with service, no matter where I am, is that it should be correct but warm, genuinely hospitable, right? And it occurs to me, and I don't think that's tremendously different necessarily than what other properties on island are doing because I think there seems to be a pretty consistently high bar on this island for warmth of hospitality, right? I think for us, I think my goal is to make sure that we maintain that tradition, that, that Grayden House is reflective not just of the finest traditions of, of hospitality and warmth and generosity and concern for service, but that it's genuinely reflective of the community that we live in, you know that that we exist as part of this this great community that has a wonderful uh, food culture going already. You know we want to be we want to be a part of that, and we hope to set ourselves apart certainly with Marcus's cooking and with the, the wine program that we envision for the property and for the warmth of our service. I think that's where that's where any any restaurant and hotel can separate themselves.
0: So how has the island been for you? You both moved here. Um, you from New York, you from Vermont. What was your first impression of the island?
2: Oh, the fir- well, the first day I came, it was I flew up from from New York, flew to Boston, then uh, across on uh, one of Cape Air's finest. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, a, it was a little bit of a foggy day. So, you know, didn't see much of the runway, but, you know, <laughs> Felt it, right, just it just suddenly <laughs> arrives you know, you know, um yeah you know, that was so i was a little little shaken up when i first got off the plane but the first thing that struck me was the fresh air when we got off the plane and still every time i go away and fly back when i get when when you land at the airport i'm like it's like i'm starved of oxygen i just try and breathe in for like a minute you know just yeah you know, just to sort of um really you know you can f- you can feel it you know yeah. um, when you when you arrive and um, so that was sort of rainy Nantucket when I first got here, um, but then going around the island seeing seeing everything um, was was really great, and I spent a couple of days here and then went back to New York and made my decision that I was going to come and be a part of something great here well,
0: And what about you?
2: yeah
1: like I said i I arrived uh a week before stroll weekend and it was a little gray and I you know I had just come off one of those stretches of 20 hour days that we were just talking about and uh, jumped right into to more 20 hour days I don't think I saw the outside of the building for the first two weeks of literally it was living I was living in the hotel so I didn't see a lot of the the island until after stroll weekend and it was um I asked a, a local who was in for dinner I said so just out of curiosity, I mean, what's the place like in the in the winter time? I'm getting ready to go into winter, and the guy looked at me and he said, "It's really quiet." Well, you know, quiet for uh, for some folks is different than than others. I mean, my last town had the inn that I worked at, a general store, and a stop sign. You know, compared to <laughs> compared to Warren, Vermont, and Nantucket is sort of a bustling hive of activity, right? I've I've been to see a theater. I've been out to multiple restaurants and. And, you know, the thing that that struck me is so far we've had such wonderful sort of interactions with everybody we've met, my wife and I, people have just been incredibly friendly and gracious and warm. It seems almost daily I find new connections with people that know the picture in or know my old hometown or know somebody I know from my old hometown. It's really literally almost daily that there seems to be this sort of, crossing of, of uh, paths.
0: Well, two things I I, I love about this island, what you're both saying, is that it affects you physically, but there is this interconnection. There seems to be this web, and we all come to this place, but it, there's a lot here. So what do you think about the future for the In House? Are you, are you shooting for some Michelin stars?
2: Well, you know, I, I think that... Is that I'm a silly question to a chef? Going, <laughs> well, kind of going back to um, what we want to create and what we... I wouldn't call it uh, separating ourselves from everyone else. I would say just adding something to the island. Really, you know, again going back to the sort of design and theme of the hotel and restaurant is like it should be warm and welcoming, like it was your, like it was a relative's home, like your great aunt or mm-hmm. someone like that. And that's that's really what it is about for me is to create this great warm and welcoming place where you can come and have a great meal we have to work every day at at just being better than we were the day before and Mm -hmm. everything else will take care of itself so um.
0: well I couldn't thank you enough for being in here I know how busy you are Um, I think the place is beautiful and I really wish you all the best of luck I've sat at that awesome couch right in front of the (laughs) fireplace it's so comfortable in there and it does transport you and I think Nantucket does that in itself so it, it's a perfect fit so thanks again thank I, you thanks really, for having us it was my pleasure and best of luck to both of you and thank you everyone for listening this is camille's demi hour on nantucket's npr station tune in next weekend saturday and sunday at 1 30 p.m cheers